This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. October. It's October. That's really not a good word of the day, is it, Coca? <clears throat> I think it's a great word of the day. Do you not associate October with World Series baseball? I do. I associate October with postseason. I just always have. And right now we are getting deep into October. We made it through the off day. World Series game three is coming up tonight. Today's October 23rd, eight days away from Halloween and Coca's birthday. But the reason October's word of the day is something slightly different. And this is a conversation about people who are now saying that Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball. Mookie Betts has gotten a lot of attention. He obviously has been a catalyst. He was traded to the Dodgers. The Boston Red Sox traded him. People in Boston are completely DBR, despondent beyond repair, thinking they traded away. It's like Babe Ruth. People actually said around these offices, CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ, that the Red Sox most famous trade that will go down in history will be Mookie Betts traded to the Dodgers, as opposed to Babe Ruth traded from the Red Sox to the Yankees, which has always been the bellwether. You don't want to do when you're an executive of any sport, you don't want to be associated with a Babe Ruthian trade. We had a trade you've, you've heard about it, the 2007 or 2000. I think it was 2007 trade of Miguel Cabrera to the Dodgers, uh, to the Tigers. People saying that was the worst trade in the history of mankind. It really wasn't. It was actually a great trade at the time. I will defend that trade until my blazer is blue. You see it? I'm going to keep going. So Mookie Betts gets traded. He's in the playoffs. He's playing for the number one seed, Los Angeles Dodgers. He's playing for a team that has done a lot of winning before he got there, but never has won a ring, obviously, in the last 32 years, not since 1988. And what people are doing now is they are saying, with very little argument from anybody in the media or social media or the public, that he is, Mookie Betts, the best player in baseball. Three months ago, Four months ago, a year ago, two years ago, four years ago, one month ago, the conversation in baseball was about Mike Trout. 
that Mike Trout is the best player currently in baseball. He may not be the face of baseball, something we've covered on Nothing Personal. He may not want to be the face of baseball. He may not want in any way to draw attention to himself. He may not want to draw attention to the fact that he has not won one postseason game, postseason series. Blanking, it's either a postseason game or a postseason series, Coca. It's one of the two. But it was never a question that he was the best player in baseball. So I want to talk about a concept in sports that comes up in the front office all the time. It comes up with scouts. It comes up with owners. It comes up with GMs, presidents, all of us. It even comes up with players. And it's called the recency bias. What recency bias means is that what you've seen last is what you perceive to be best. And that's pretty common outside of sports and inside of sports. It's one of the great ways of describing someone. Have you ever been in an argument with someone or you were trying to get to know the tells of somebody with whom you argue or compete? A tell like when you're playing poker and they start splitting the Oreos like John Malkovich and Rounders when he starts opening his Oreos during a head-to-head no hold in poker. And Matt Damon says, Hey, I now know his tell. And then Matt Damon says, the one thing about learning someone's tell is you never let them know that, you know, I don't have the first idea why I just was talking about tells and rounders and John Malkovich and Matt Damon. But what I do know is that the concept of recency bias is this. When someone does something for you that has a positive result, people have a tendency to believe that that result and the person who gave you that result is the best person and the best positioned person to have given you that result the whole time and to give you that result going forward. There tends to be in the business world when someone is a big producer on Wall Street or cuts a big deal, or is involved in a huge transaction that the managing directors at a, at a Wall Street firm will say this person not just deserves <clears throat> a huge bonus, but this person is someone who I'm now putting on the promotion track, or this person is someone who could run a whole department, not based on anything other than the last moment, the last deal. The way that manifests in itself in sports is through performance during a period of time when there are more eyeballs on it than normal. And it causes you to change an evaluation based on that recent performance under the bright lights during a specific time period. Recency bias in baseball happens several times a year. It happens in spring training It happens in September when there are call-ups and expanded rosters, and it happens in October when there are players in the playoffs and those players perform at an incredibly high level. Those players are looked at as being better than they are, but then you have to go to the different levels. So let's say you have a journeyman player, a journeyman player. The perfect example for this postseason is the Tampa Bay Rays player who's a rookie. So I don't want to call him a journeyman, but he's he's playing way above his pay grade. His name is Randy Arazarena. He has had the really the greatest postseason ever 
in the history of rookies, which is saying something because there have been a lot of rookies who've done a lot of things. What they're doing now is showing you that his postseason is greater than the 1996 Jeter postseason when the Yankees won a title the year after the Marlins manager, Don Mattingly, left the Yankees. So what they're saying is Rosarena is maybe the greatest rookie. So recency bias would manifest itself by the Tampa Bay Rays signing Arazarena to a long-term deal based on his performance this postseason. There are plenty of teams who would do it. The Tampa Bay Rays are not one of them. The Tampa Bay Rays never get sucked into the concept of recency bias. They understand that there is a standard deviation of play. Standard deviation is what you'd expect to happen over a period of time. And then when things happen that are different than what you expect to happen, those are called variances. And you say that they are outside of the standard deviation. Standard deviation looks like a a parabola where it's a, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm nothing personal with David Sampson, press subscribe. Thank you. If you're not, then what I'm doing is I'm drawing a bit of a curve, like a, a bell curve that goes up and down, like a, an upside down U. And it's an upside down U that then has straight lines on either side. So anything that happens on those straight lines, that's standard deviation. Those are a, they're measured as being away from the norm. So when people do things they've never done, that is generally measured as being away from the norm. And if you act on that as though it is the norm, you are going to be disappointed. If you act as though what Randy Razorain is doing is the norm, you're going to get caught. The Rays never get caught. So Mookie Betts is having this sort of postseason, this sort of season. There's a lot of attention. He's an MVP. He's a World Series champion with the Red Sox. He's had unbelievable defensive plays. He is the face of the Dodgers after one season with Kershaw sort of fading into the background is the face of that franchise and Seager and all the other great players they have are great, but Mookie has taken over, I would say. So what people are saying now is he's the greatest player in baseball. They're calling him the greatest player, not of all time, the greatest player currently in baseball. My issue is he's not. If I had to choose a player to start a team, Ignoring payroll, just who do you want on your team right now? Of course, I want Mike Trout. Mike Trout is just as good a defender as Mookie Betts. Mike Trout is a way better hitter than Mookie Betts. Mike Trout is not as fast, but he can run the bases. He is someone who you would want to build a team around. Unfortunately, if you don't build a team around him, you can't win. Let's go back to Mookie Betts and him being on Boston. Coca, any recollection with uh, the Red Sox in 2019? Let's go back. Let's open a tab. How did the Red Sox do in 19? Anyone? How were they predicted to do in 2020 with or without Mookie Betts? The Red Sox before the trade of Betts to the Dodgers. We're going to be at best a third place team in that division behind the Yankees in the race. With Betts in 19 coming off the World Series championship in 18, they won 84 games and finished in third place. 
No one was talking about Mookie Betts being the best player in the game. Nobody. It was Trout. Now Mookie Betts moves to the big city in L.A. They're a winning team. He's playing in October. This is the height of recency bias. Remember I talked to you about Carlos Beltran, the guy who managed the Mets for a day and a half? Well, he's pretty. he's much more famous as a player and a great player. He signed a huge contract after he had that huge postseason. Uh, he signed a contract with the Mets after a huge postseason with the Astros. God, I'm definitely going back in my brain, but I think that's the case. There are pitchers who have had great. Nathan Evaldi is a great example of the Red Sox engaging in recency bias. He had that amazing World Series in 18. They forced him to sign a long-term deal, and he's been meh. He's been fine. He's been a middle-of-the-rotation guy, which, by the way, is what he was prior to that amazing run in October. So when you're running a team, you have to manage any, any business, by the way, your business, wherever you work, you manage up and you manage down. You manage your bosses, you manage the people who work for you or the people who you work with. It is so critical for GMs to manage up to presidents and owners because the I'm the guy because I'm not the baseball guy. I am subject to recency bias in a way that is definitely out of the ordinary. Because when I look and see something good and I'm watching a baseball game, I am going to want to have that player back. We've got to bring him back. We've got to sign him. But this is the time of year when GMs have to earn their money. They've got to speak to their presidents and owners who are all watching the postseason. My favorite is when owners say, oh, I didn't watch. I told you that GMs do that too, but they all do. So, They've got to protect owners from themselves. Well, I'm going to move on, but I'm going to say that October, it's my favorite month, not just because it's Coca's birthday, not just because I get to eat candy on Halloween and candy corn, which, by the way, is my favorite Halloween candy, and I'm a major candy guy. I love candy corn, sort of the carnauba wax of candy corn. Tastes so good. Coca's in my ear saying that's a disgusting candy. Coca, everyone hates the candy I like. I like candy corn. I like good and plenty. I like licorice jelly beans. The reason I love all these candies is that you don't have to share them. Because I'm sort of a nice guy. I mean, just don't tell anyone. It'll ruin my reputation. But I'm always willing to share and trying to be giving and helpful. And if I have a bag of candy... I'm going to offer people, I'm not going to let them reach their hand in, but I'll pour them some candy. But the kind of candy I like, no one ever wants to have any of it. So I get more for myself. October is the nothing personal word of the day. We are knee deep. What's the day today? October 23rd. The World Series is ending. It's done. No later than next Wednesday. And then we're going to go into some serious off season. Oy, is this going to be an off season? All right, let's switch gears to football. I can only say, did anyone watch the, uh, anyone stay away up and watch the Eagles Giants game? I think the final score, it was a great game. Thank God my Giants finally played well. They won 21 to 10. They had a great lead. Daniel Jones had that 80 yard touchdown run, which was amazing. He may go all the way. He scored a touchdown, which was great. 
by the way, I'm imitating man in the high castle. I'm giving you my alternate world. Daniel Jones could have scored a touchdown. He tripped over himself and didn't score. The Giants could have won. They were winning 21 to 10 with under five minutes left, and they lost to the Eagles. Can you imagine? I wish that there had been a World Series game last night because if you put a World Series game against an NFL game between the Giants and the Eagles in the NFC crap division and still you had 15 million people watching that NFL game and 9 million people watching the World Series game, I would ask myself, what are you doing? All right, what else is going on in the NFL? Someone asked me a question about it. Go ahead, Coca. Press it. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. It's an early so you want to talk to Samson in the show because I got all worked up about this when I saw the question. Get in Twitter at David P. Sampson. Get in Instagram at David P. Sampson. Ask a question. DMs are public. Everything's public. You asked a question about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, having an MVP year, great year. He's the one who's married to uh, a singer named Madonna. I don't think it's Madonna. He's definitely married to a singer. It's like a storybook wedding. Sierra. Sierra? Sierra? Sierra, Syra, Syra. He's married to someone. He's a sort of well-known off the field, tons of charitable work, really the, the guy in Seattle. He is the face of the Seahawks franchise. And there was a pretty big to-do last night about Russell Wilson, and someone asked about it, and we're going to talk about it. The question asked was, When the best player on your team comes to you and asks to have a player signed or traded for, are you more likely to make that signing or trade? Thank you for asking that. And what you're talking about is Russell Wilson of the Seahawks. He's their quarterback. He has approached his head coach, Pete Carroll, his GM, Tom Wopat, and has asked for them to acquire Antonio Brown. Do you know what I love about Coca? So I got to do a side note here, folks, because I'm just thinking about this. So the way this works is Coca and I spend time the day before a show. So we do a show. Then we spend time talking about the show and what went right, what went wrong. And then we take a little break and then we start working on the show for the next day. And we'll spend time talking about the types of things we want to talk about. What are the trending stories? What's happening that we think will be interesting to to the listeners and the viewers? Then the day of the show, we'll meet again and we'll talk about, again, which topics and we'll look to see what's come up. And then during the show, Coco will talk to me about things that are going on or he'll comment on things that I'm saying when I'm right, when I'm wrong. So one of the things we talked about is that we were going to do this. So you want to talk to Samson question, which is about Russell Wilson. And he said, don't forget that John Schneider is the GM of the team and that Pete Carroll is the coach of the team because he likes to remind me because, of course, I don't remember a lot of stuff. And he knows me by now after over a year. So what I just said to you on the show is that the GM of the Seahawks is Tom Wopat. Do you know who that is, Coca? Because there are 12 people watching and listening. Yes, Ariel Hawani, maybe you're right about this one issue. 
12 people thought that was one of the funniest things of the show. Because 12 people knew that John Schneider was the GM of the Seahawks, no more than 12. For the other thousands of you watching, you didn't know. I don't blame you. But when I said it was Tom Wopat, you laughed. Tom Wopat starred opposite John Schneider in a TV show called Dukes of Hazard. I'm not sure Coca's heard of it. I didn't tell Coca I was going to say it because I didn't think to say it until the show happened, which is what nothing personal is. It's 45 minutes of me saying things that come to my head with an outline on the iPad and with Coca screaming in my ear or whispering, as the case may be, or furiously writing in this document that we both have access to. So Russell Wilson goes up to John Schneider and Pete Carroll and says, sign Antonio Brown. Do you guys know who Antonio Brown is? Antonio Brown, that former Steelers player. Then he played for the Raiders for a moment. Then he played for the Patriots for like a day or a week. He caught a touchdown pass and was then released. Nothing. No recollection. Antonio Brown, who is currently the subject of NFL investigation currently serving an eight-game suspension, currently 32 years old, currently accused of sexual misconduct. The guy who pleaded no contest to a felony burglary. The guy who does all this crazy social media stuff where it, it, you just, it's its unbelievable. He's, he's, I don't, you know what? I'm not going to label. Antonio Brown is a D-I-S-T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N-P-E-R-I-O-D, S-T-O-P. He is a distraction. Russell Wilson says, I want him on the team. I've known him four or five years. We're close. We're tight. We're tight. We made a connection. He's taken steps in the right direction, Russell Wilson said. And like I like to say, Russell Wilson's a religious guy. He likes to say, nobody's perfect. That's a statement that makes me insane. Of course, nobody's perfect. Literally, nobody's perfect. Some people, I would say, are more perfect than others. But nobody is fully perfect. Russell Wilson said, from the conversations I've had with him, he's really been remorseful and he's been humbled along the way. Like I said, I pray that he can continue to grow just like anybody. Everybody deserves a second chance. I feel like we're in the Wizard of Oz. Antonio Brown does not deserve a second chance to play football. And Antonio Brown deserves a second chance to be a productive member of society. Antonio Brown deserves a second chance to be rehabilitated once the law has dealt with his crimes. Antonio Brown deserves the chance to get his life back together. Antonio Brown does not deserve a chance to be back in the NFL. If he can earn his way back through performance, if he can earn his way back through remorse, if he can earn his way back through rehabilitation. But one conversation with Russell Wilson, do you think that Antonio Brown was smart enough that the friends that he has and the people he's leaning on now are those who potentially have the most influence to get him signed to continue his NFL career? Is it possible that I could be that cynical? 
I've seen it. What do you do when a player comes up to you? Because it's happened to me. I'd say in 18 years running a team, I had at least 18 experiences, and I do that math purposefully. Once a year, minimum, a player will come up to me and say, hey, you know, John Doe is really unhappy with the Royals. Anything you can do to acquire him? Hey, this guy could really help us. Not, hey, this is my best friend. This is my cousin. This is my uncle. This is my wife's best friend's wife's cousin's brother. This is a guy. No, it's always this guy will help us win. This guy we should have on our team. I would always listen to players when they tell me these things and ask me these things. Not one time did I act on it because players bring in, by definition, a level of emotion, a level of commitment to the player they're talking about, a level of relationship that is not interesting to me as an executive putting a team together. Now you're going to come back and you're going to say to me, David, that's why you were so bad at what you did and why you're doing this show and not still the president of the Marlins. LeBron James wants Udonis Haslam playing with the Heat. He stays with the Heat. LeBron James wants J.R. Smith playing with the Lakers. The Lakers sign J.R. Smith. The sports landscape is littered with players who are brought in for that very reason. One of the big differences is generally players who are brought in for that reason are not under league suspension, have not been involved in criminal activity. But I never wanted to give the superstar a chance to bring in a player the way LeBron gets a chance to do all the time because it causes problems the same way Kawhi Leonard is causing problems with the Clippers. If you give a player too much power, you have lost the team. I acknowledge Russell Wilson is the leader of the Seahawks. But Pete Carroll is way too smart, way too smart to sign Antonio Brown simply because Russell Wilson wants him there. The reason players get involved in wanting certain players signed and wanting their friends on the team, it's like, did you ever go to camp? Or how about when you were assigned a homeroom in school and elementary school? Do you remember how excited you were to see who was in your homeroom because you looked to see who your friends were? And if you weren't with your friends, then you had your parents call and switch homerooms so you could be with your friends. Or then when you were in high school, you looked to see what your friend's schedule is to see whether or not you had the same free periods so you could hang out and do stuff. When you're in school, when you are on a team, when you were at work, did you ever wonder where your cubicle is in your office and whether or not you're close to the people you'd rather be close to? It's human nature. You want to be close to the people you like. You want to spend time with the people you know. You don't want to necessarily be in an unfamiliar situation, forced to make new friends, forced to be fake friends with people because you're with them eight to 10 hours a day, five to seven days a week. But your boss doesn't care. The head of a team doesn't care. I'm not looking to give you a play date. Now, Russell Wilson is couching it as this guy can help our team. When's the last time Antonio Brown helped the team win a game? 
Antonio Brown helps teams get distracted. If your team's crap, you know, Coke, I got it. I can't believe we didn't cover this. The Giants need to sign Antonio Brown. Distract everyone in New York from the fact that the Giants absolutely suck. That's who should sign Antonio Brown. Mark my words and you wait to see. The Seattle Seahawks will not sign Antonio Brown. They are way too smart and successful to pay any attention to what Russell Wilson or any other player says to them that they should do. Who's excited? Tonight is, uh, what is the day of the week, Coca? I do not know the day. It's October 23rd, and this is the day that the Big Ten starts playing football. Today's Friday. Friday, October 23rd. Tonight, the Big Ten starts. Tonight, my wait to see was lost when I said the Big Ten wouldn't start till Thanksgiving. Tonight's the day that President of Rutgers, our friend Jonathan Holloway, ended up giving in. Football is starting in the Big Ten. My Badgers play tonight. Yeah, I'm all excited. Am I going to watch it? Yeah, I root for the Badgers. So what did the Big Ten do? The Big Ten decided that they were going to play an eight-game conference-only schedule. They were going to have week nine available for conference, conference tournament games. It'll be like conference championship week. They made a rule that if people are testing positive for COVID and the positivity rate is greater than 5%, that you stop. In the name of love, before you break my heart, think it over. That's the rule in the Big Ten. Positivity rate over 5%, no conversation, practice stops, game stop, period. And if games cannot be played, it's not a forfeit, it's not a win, it's not a loss, it's a no contest, meaning game over. There's a million tiebreaker rules that the Big Ten, Big Ten came out with. They came out with all of these, how, how to decide who wins the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten has 14 teams. I think, are there two divisions of the Big Ten, Coca? And if there are two divisions, who wins each division? It's based on winning percentage. It's based on all these different things. Yeah, there's the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. Give me a break. It drives me insane. Where's Wisconsin? Wisconsin is not in the East or the West. It's ridiculous. But why am I bringing up the Big Ten? Because something happened at the University of Michigan. And during this whole COVID thing, We've talked about the Big Ten. We've talked about Michigan. We've talked about how Jim Harbaugh, the coach of Michigan, was really quite ill-behaved during COVID, wanting to play, wanting explanations why they weren't playing, getting angry with his president and chancellor, fighting to play. Well, I now figured out why. The University of Michigan Wolverines hold a position in Michigan that is really incredible to me. And maybe there's some SEC teams that have that same position. Maybe there's some other football teams that believe that they are running the community in which they're in, the city in which they're located, or the state in which they are. 
But never has it been more clear than what's going on in Michigan. Do you know the spike in COVID that's going on? People in Michigan and on campus in Ann Arbor are testing positive left, right, and center. I don't know if they'll hit the 5% positivity rate. I just know it's so bad that in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, in the county where the University of Michigan is, the government, the mayor, the governor, whoever it is, has issued an executive order that's called a stay-at-home order. Remember those stay-at-home orders back in the beginning of COVID? When that's when the quarantine was. Then unless you are an essential personnel, and I thank all of the people who are essential personnel, whether you're police, fire, whether you're delivering the food on Uber Eats, packages on Amazon, daily packages we're all receiving on Amazon. Whoever you are, you're doing those jobs and we're appreciative. The grocery store, the pharmacy, et cetera. Everyone's got to stay at home except for people who have to leave to do jobs that keep society rolling. Do you know who else doesn't have to stay at home under the stay at home order in Michigan? Ready? You can guess it. Come on. Say it with me. On three. One, two, three. The University of Michigan football players. Are you kidding me? The University of Michigan football players have gotten an exemption. They don't have to stay at home. They can go play their games because, and that's where you lost me. I don't have the first reason why. I'm just kidding. I'm moving on, Coco. You know why. Say it with me. That's two things I've asked you to say with me. In a short period of time. Money, for Christ's sake. Athletes are exempt. Stu- they call them the student athletes are exempt from the stay-at-home order. Can you imagine writing that order? Saying that people who need to earn a living, people whose businesses are being deleteriously impacted, maybe permanently in counties around the country by the economic shutdown. Wear a mask, but that's not relevant right now. That's just a fact. Can you imagine those people sitting at home saying to themselves, I cannot believe that I'm not allowed to go to work and open my stationary store in the corner, but the student athletes at Michigan can proceed. Thank God. We're going to preview the World Series when we come back. We got a lot to talk about with game three starting, but first we're going to review a documentary that uh, needs to be watched. We'll be right back on Nothing Personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing, and watching. So I went on Amazon Prime. There are a great number of movies I got to get to in the next few days. Borat 2 is coming out. On the Rocks with Bill Murray came out with Rashida Jones. I got to watch the Chicago 7, the new movie with Aaron, uh, written by uh, Aaron Sorkin. I want to watch that. I watched a documentary called Time on Amazon Prime. And uh, it's worth a few minutes of your time to talk about. Time is a documentary about the Richardson family. The Richardson family is a husband, a wife, and six sons, six kids. The husband and wife, when they were young, newlyweds, they were trying to start a business and to do it, they needed money. Many people go to a bank to borrow money. These two people went to the bank to steal the money. It wasn't financial fraud. It was a full-fledged robbery. Husband and wife, robbery. Wife, three months pregnant, sentenced to 15 years. Husband sentenced to 60 years for the robbery. Time is a documentary which is named in a, uh, it's a triple entendre. And I'm a fan of the double and triple entendre. Time as in serving hard time. Time as in time away from your spouse. Time as in you've got nothing but time. Time as in you have no time and you're watching it pass you by. Well, Mrs. Richardson and Koki, you know me well. I said Mrs. Richardson because I cannot remember her first name. She devoted her life to freeing her husband to prison reform, to the criminal justice system reform, to helping him make parole. The documentary she filmed when she was a kid, when she had committed the crime, they didn't film the crime. She filmed when her kids were born. She filmed when her kids were growing up without a father. She became an activist. She became a business leader in Louisiana. She became a spokeswoman and motivational speaker, and she had it all on film. She was one of those people who recorded everything. This movie documentary is about what happens to families of men in the criminal justice system. It goes through 18 years of her fighting, showing the kids growing up without a father, showing the impact to a family when the father's gone, when kids are growing up without a father. She finds religion. She gives talks in churches. She gives motivational talks to other people. The whole documentary focuses also on the kids 
and how they grew up to be men, successful men, but troubled because they didn't have a father. Their father was in prison. It showed prison visits, prison phone calls. It showed the frustration of her trying to get a ruling from the judge, from the parole board, trying to make calls to see what the future would be of her husband, wanting to be together again as a family unit. So I tell you everything on nothing personal and uh, because I want you to know where I come from and what I think about. And then I want to admit when I think of things that are and when I'm wrong. I've always admitted that and I do corrections on this show, et cetera. But I uh, when the, when it first started this documentary called Time, I was upset and I wasn't into it. I wasn't enjoying it because I kept saying, I like watching when people are wrongly imprisoned and then they get freed because they don't deserve to be in prison. And I've worked with organizations who do that. They make sure that if someone is in prison who is not guilty, that we find that individual and we help that individual through the court system and become free. This is an example of a man who's in prison because he did something. He actually did rob the bank. So I could not have sympathy for his plight. I thought a 60-year sentence was a little much, to say the least. But the fact that he was in prison was just. He wasn't denying. He was asking forgiveness. His wife was asking forgiveness. His wife was upset that she had to go to prison, but she participated knowingly in a robbery. But it changed me in that I was watching and it became, it humanized the issue for me. It's so easy to read articles or to watch movies or it's people you don't know, people who don't impact your life. You say, hey, I want criminal justice reform because you think it's the right thing to say. You actually believe it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, what, you don't know the people. So when you watch documentaries like this, you get a relationship with the people. That's how deep this documentary was. I felt as though I had a relationship with the Richardson family. And I was torn because I want him to be in prison because he committed a crime but I wanted him to be able to serve his time in a a reasonable amount of time, which is not 60 years, get out, be reunited with his wife, get to be a father, figure out why we can't change, change enough of the world that if someone is trying to start a business but doesn't have the money, they don't need to rob a bank. That's what we need to address. What can we do so that people feel they have a choice and a chance This is all part of what's been going on in the past year when people feel they don't have a platform. They don't have the ability to live the life they want. They feel they have no hope and therefore they resort to a life of crime. These people did have a moment of crime, but they rehabilitated themselves. It's called time. I really would encourage you to watch it. I really would. These are serious issues that we're dealing with, folks. Last night, I was watching the Giants. I don't even think, Coke, I have time to get to the World Series game other than to tell you that you need to watch it and other than to tell you that my pick of the day is the Rays are going to take a 2-1 lead because I will not let today end without talking about the debate. I won't do it. We lost our pick of the day yesterday. God, the Eagles suck. Damn it. 
Rays will win game three. Look for Morton to beat Bueller. You should watch that game. Last night, I hope you spent time. I hope you spent time watching that debate. Remember, we talked about the muted microphones, the new rules with the Presidential Commission on Debates. They muted the microphones. It worked great. Last night's debate was presidential. Last night's debate enabled people who are undecided to take a good look at Trump, to take a good look at Biden, to understand the differences between how they will approach each issue. I found it outrageous that Trump said during the debate that he's done more for black people than any other president since Lincoln, maybe even including Lincoln. I found it outrageous that Joe Biden said that he's going to deal with COVID way better than Trump because he's got a plan and Trump had no plan. During the debate, that's your moment. What's your plan? Don't just give me generalities by saying we're going to open it, but we're going to open it carefully. We're going to give everybody the resources in order to open their business. Trump says plexiglass in restaurants is too expensive. Biden says we're going to do it safely and we're going to give people the money. Biden, where's the money coming from? That's what I want to know. If I'm an undecided voter, give me information, but give me real answers. If I'm taking the time to watch the debate, don't patronize me by saying that we're going to give everyone the resources. What, do you have a printing press? Where's it coming from? Climate change was brought up in the debate. It is clear there are two very different ways of viewing climate change. It's also clear that, in my opinion, everyone on both sides understands that things that we do impact the environments. The only question is when and by how much. This was actually a debate where people who are undecided. Now, if you're voting for Trump going into this debate, you're voting for Trump next Tuesday or a week. Is it a week from next Tuesday? It is. It's in 11 days or something. November 3rd, you're going in, you're going to keep voting for Trump. If you're going into that debate voting for Biden, you're going to keep voting for Biden. Not one candidate did something to hurt themselves. It was actually way more respectful with the muted microphone. The moderator kept control. She was great. But tell me what the undeciders, the undecided voters, what did you think of that debate? When you are prepping your candidate or prepping anybody to do a debate, What you're trying to do is get those undecided votes. And to do that, give a concrete example. What are you doing in a second term that you could not get done in a first term? What are you doing in a first term, Joe Biden, that has not been done in the previous four years? And how are you going to do it? I don't know about you all, but I'm sick and tired of the partisanship in Washington and the fact that the Democrats and the Republicans, all they do is fight and the people who suffer are us, the citizens. One time, don't you think it would be amazing if the candidates would just look in the camera, they would tell you what they think, what they want to accomplish, how they're going to accomplish it, and then they'd wink and they'd say, hey, but you really know what it's about. It's business. It's nothing personal. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.